So the topic, the topic for contemplation this evening is on karma, and you know in our contemporary culture we hear that word a lot. Um, it's pantered around, and it's in literature, and it's even on cafes and pubs, and you know it's all over the place. And um, the common understanding of it is actually inaccurate. So. Um, what, when people are commonly using the word karma, what they're referring to is the vipaka, the result. Karma is um, actually means intention, and it's not it's not common that it's used in that way. We usually use it as the result of the intention, which is the karma vipaka. And in the classical Buddhist teachings, there's a lot of um, suttas that have references to karma and karma vipaka. And as a result of that, it um, it lays out a picture of the world that is a different picture if we don't have that understanding. Now, one of the common misunderstandings is that and, 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 and there are cultures for whom this is applied in a really big way. That, that the karma is used as a justification for lack of action or interaction or compassion. And so, um, in India, when there's a caste system and people are desperately poor because the caste um, is set up that way, the social belief and karma is that because it's their karma that they're born into their caste, it's not anybody's responsibility to help them. So that's taking a piece of an understanding that the Buddha gave and overlaying it with a cultural belief and coming out with something which is quite horrible. So karma can be used in a way like a knife. It can be used in a way to um, support clear understanding, and it can be used in a way that's really unskillful um, because of a misunderstanding that's then applied with it. So if we go back and we look at what the Buddha's intention was with karma, what he was talking about was... We can see uh, cause and effect playing out in all kinds of ways. We can see cause and effect playing out with genetics. We can see cause and effect playing out with Newtonian physics. We can see cause and effect playing out in banking systems and governmental systems and global warming systems. These are cause and effect being played out in all kinds of ways. So if you take an apple seed and you plant it in the ground, you get an apple tree. You don't get a pear tree. That's cause and effect, because the genetics of the apple seed will grow an apple tree and won't grow a pear tree, okay? 
those genetics are related to cause and effect, but it's different than what karma is referring to because what karma is referring to is the particular piece of the cause and effect pie that's related to intention. So uh, an apple tree doesn't intentionally make an apple and the apple seed doesn't intentionally grow into an apple tree. It's cause and effect, but there isn't intention that's actually operating through it. So one of the ways in which human beings are a little bit more unique in the sphere is is, is that we can intend things, and through our intention there will be results. So if I intend... Today, I was eating my meal... And my intention was to is to was to wish that the blessings of the offering of this food uh, be something that nourishes all beings everywhere. That has a particular intention. That intention is very different than hoarding food and not wanting to share. Okay, so we're taking kind of like opposite spectrums and saying the intention behind each action or each thought is going to have a different effect. All right. So, in the Buddhist scriptures, there's two kind of pathways that describe karma and cause and effect. In the Buddhist scriptures, there are suttas that describe the way you can understand that is in the present moment and uh, within this lifetime. You can see the effects of our actions and see the results that they have. And then there's a whole set of scriptures that describe cause and effect as something that um, is only really visible over three lifetimes. Um, Because the body that we have, we didn't consciously intend it to be that way in this life. It comes from intentions from before we were born. Okay, So we come in with a set of, of results that happened before we were born. And um, And then when we die, there's a continuum that happens after. And so in this series of suttas, there's a three-lifetime kind of perspective in which the real full workings of karma are visible. Okay, And both of these are present in the suttas. And there are people who say that one is correct, and there are people who say that the other is correct. But if you look at the suttas, they're both present. They're both present where you can understand karma from the perspective of it all happens, and you can see it, the workings of it in one life, and you can see descriptions in the suttas where it takes three lives to see the workings of karma. I come from a tradition where we were not required to believe in reincarnation. So the way, you know, what happened in the tradition that I came from was that that topic was actually never discussed was just discussed, you know, the practice was related to uh, what you can know in the present moment practice, okay? And um, there's a lot of wisdom in that, because there's a weird thing about having to take on a belief system that doesn't make much sense, or is foreign, or we don't have any frames of references where it lands correctly, in order to make sense of ideas and concepts, okay? It feels like imposing a set of belief systems onto something in order to make something else okay. Yeah. So I can understand the thinking behind 
not requiring a community of Western people to take on a belief that they cannot verify in their own experience and and is, you know, it just sounds, it just, it puts your mind in the position of having to believe something that somebody else has said without actually having a way of verifying it for yourself. So it puts us in kind of dodgy ground. Yeah. The challenge is, is, is that if that's the only frame of reference that we have, then um, there are some people who say that when you don't actually see things from lifetime to lifetime, then it's hard to make sense out of some of the things that we have to deal with in this lifetime because you don't have a frame of reference for it. Okay, I'm not suggesting that you adopt a belief system, but I'm just suggesting that these different frames of reference are going to have different effects in terms of your overall view of looking at things. Now, one of the things that can happen is, is, is that we can see that there is cause and effect, and we can see that the intention that we bring forward with something is going to have a result. And it can become where um, you can hear, and I have heard, that everything that we experience is the result of our past intention. Everything. Okay? So there's like a categorical, across the board, everything that we experience is the result of the ripening of our past intention. And that's also not correct. Because if that were the case, then there would be no point in, in, in making new intentions because everything that we're dealing with is the result of past intentions. So it would sort of be sealed. Yeah? But the, the, the Buddha's teaching is not sealed, and the Buddha's teaching very much is where at every moment we have the choice of how we interact with what's arising. And there are things that we experience which are not the result of our intention. So the weather is not the result of our intention. If I have an upset tummy because of the food that I ate, you know, if the food was offered to me, then it, it's not my intention. If I eat too much of it, it's my intention. But if it's just food that's not agreeing with me, it's not my intention. So there's physical things that we experience that are not based on intention. There are things that come from the weather. There's comes from the food. It comes from... Um, global circumstances that are not based on our individual intention. So it is um, a little bit requiring some sophistication. It's not a black and white thing. Okay? So karma intention has a big effect on our lives. And you can see, you know, that when you develop a positive attitude, it has a certain effect. When you get stuck into negative thinking, it has a different effect. And so one of the um, reasons why Buddhist traditions have form and structure in them is so that it can support and encourage positive intentions and um, discourage and undermine negative intentions. So the positive reasons why coming into a shrine room and bowing to the Buddha is to connect with an image that brings you to remember something which is wide open and vast and timeless and unborn and undying and infinitely compassionate. And normally we're not relating to anything in our world like that. You know, we're relating to teacups and to food and to garbage and to, you know, books and stuff. So we're relating to things. We're not relating to something that makes our mind go like that. 
So when there is a positive intention to bow in front of a shrine or in front of, a, of, of an object, a Buddha, that represents a Buddha, then we're creating the intention that brings an affinity with that, uh, with what we're doing. Okay? So when it talks about, you know, what happens and in a person's life and the way things ripen, Again, you have um, different kinds of karma. You have kind of habitual karma, stuff that is like ruts that you have worn into the ground that are going to have a, a certain amount of energy with them. Then you have like kind of the impact of really, um, it's not a rut, but something that happened that was really, really powerful. So like, for example, the five heinous crimes or the five kind of like really, really super duty, heavy duty <coughs> karmas is to, to take the life of an arahant, to draw the blood of a Buddha, to create a schism in the community of monks and nuns, um, to take the life of one's parents, uh, um, to engage in... Uh, in uh, Sexual violation of a of a monastic. Yeah. So, if one has engaged in any of these five, it's not a rut, but it has a really strong. It's a really big wave. It has a really big impact. So, um, I can't remember the names of these people. I'm poor. Ajatasattu was the son of King Bimbisara. King Bimbisara was a very, very well-loved king. And Ajatasattu had the idea that he would be a better king. So he committed patricide. He killed his father. And so as a result of that, he acceded to this throne. All right. And then he was listening to the Buddha's teaching. And he felt enormously inspired and tremendously uh, faithful because of the Buddha's instructions. And we decided to become a lay follower. And uh, But because of the action that he had done, his mind did not open into um, a stage of enlightenment that the Buddha said that he would have done had he not done that action. Okay, So that, that sealed his capacity for waking up where he couldn't actually... He didn't have the the virtue. He didn't have the conditions that were necessary in order to wake up in this lifetime. Okay? In that lifetime. And then there was, you know, whatever happened needed to ripen and I don't remember exactly what happened to Ajatasattu in future lives, what the story with him was. You know. But there are certain things that it has a really um, strong impact. So one is encouraged to um, live a life that's based on integrity that's based on generosity that has practice in it that has concentration in it because when there is integrity then one is not living with regret and remorse when there's generosity one is building a connection to one's own goodness and 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 paving the way so that the mind can open when one is living with or cultivating concentration, one is able to still the mind and reduce the effects of the hindrances which uh, occlude one's capacity to see things clearly. And then when one was practicing in meditation, one has the ability to go into depth 
and to see and connect with things in a deep way, to know things as they are. And from that, a sense of, of release of the misperception of how we are normally relating to things can happen and the mind can open up into its natural freedom, which is the awakened state that we're looking for. You know, that's the kind of goal, is to return to what's normal, you know. So the whole way that karma um, plays out is, is, is that you can see there is karma and the kinds of hindrances that arise. There is karma and the way that we relate to the things that arise. There's karma in the in the way that um, in the choices that we make. There's 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 karma or the results of past intentions that are the the kind of opportunities that present themselves. Okay, it's all it can all there can be elements of intention that are related to all of that. So the point of the Buddhist teachings is to understand suffering in order to eliminate suffering. It's not to create more suffering. So we can use a sharp edge to cut ourselves or we can use a sharp edge to clear away brush. And to clear away brush means that we have a path that's clear for us to walk on and when we cut ourselves then we're damaged and it makes it more difficult to walk. So we can use these teachings in unskillful ways in order to solidify wrong views or we can use these teachings in order to illuminate right view in order to open up the path. And a lot of the contemporary thinking is based on wrong view. So, um, like there are people who believe that you are um, so powerful that you can control your health, your future, your wealth, your life partner, you know, manifest your life partner and all the rest of that. And so with that view, then if you're not healthy, if you're not wealthy, if you don't have your life partner, then it's because you're not doing it right. <laughs> so there's something fundamentally wrong with what you're doing because if you, weren't, if you were doing it right, you'd be able to have everything that you wanted. So there's an element of the fact that we can certainly influence our health, that we can influence our wealth, that we can influence the ability to have a life partner or not, but we don't have absolute control over it, you know. And so, um, yeah, I was I, one of the books that I really loved of Ken Wilber. Do you know Ken Wilber? Mm-hmm. Ken Wilber's he's worth knowing about because he's 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 quite quite exceptionally brilliant, exceptionally brilliant. And um, he's a syncretic genius, which means that he doesn't think of things originally on his own that's brilliant and genius, but he puts together everybody else's ideas in a way that's totally genius. So what he did, and this is true, he locked himself in his house for three years, and he had um, those legal pads, you know, and he had like 240 of them. And on each legal pad, he had a different system. He had the depth ecology, and he had the feminist stuff, and he had the, the, the consciousness stuff, and he had the spiritual development of this school, and that school, and this school, and that school. And he had every map on these pads that he could find or think of or know about. And he was absolutely hell-bent and determined to find a map 
that could hold all of these maps. And it took him three years, and he did it. You know, he figured it out. He figured out there is one map that holds all of those maps. And it's a map that has a kind of an understanding of development in each of these areas of where these maps we're talking about. And so he's written, I don't know, 30 books, 40 books. And, you know, his books are brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But in the middle of writing his 40 books, there is one story where he um, met Tria and then married Tria. And Tria, one week after they got married, was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of breast cancer. So their whole journey together as a married couple was navigating this catastrophic illness. And he's a genius. I mean, that, he, that's, he's a genius. So, but he was totally in love with her. So this was like the book where you get his heart and his genius coming together in a way that none of the other ones come together. And there's one section of that book where he takes apart the kind of new age philosophies that, 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 you know, the various common new age philosophies because they were, he was having to confront them. You know, people were saying that to him, you know, and to her. And, you know, the, the, (laughs) <laughs> smoke would come out of his ears. So he totally took it apart about the kind of the, the the fallibility of that kind of thinking and how it's actually not at all helpful at all. You know, I mean, just it's just it's just amazing what people can think of sometimes. You know, like somebody went a nun. You know, she sent me a note. She said, you know, it was in response to my father. You know, having passed away. She said, everybody dies. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> but in an email, you know, a couple of weeks after your father dies, it's like that's not helpful. <laughs> so, you know, people get stuck into ideas about, you know, what it's supposed to be like and then they Oh man, some of the stuff that people can come up with are just not at all skillful. So karma really is about understanding cause and effect and intention. And um, Paiuto wrote a fabulous book called Good, Evil, and Beyond. And I like that book because he wasn't only talking about you know the effect of personal this the way this works on a personal level but he was also talking about the way this works on a social and a societal level so when you have a government that um, is compassionate and wise and the people uh, are uh, have their basic needs met then there uh, tends to be the conditions for harmony in the society when you have a government that uh, has a lot of taxes and the taxes are not used to support people, they're used for other things, then the people's needs are not met and then oftentimes there's more theft, there's more uh, violence, there's more addiction, there's more mental illness and so you can see that there's a cause and effect that happens as a result of governmental policy Okay, that happens in the society. And so, um, 
it's not only an individual person's intention, they're actually interacting with a whole larger sphere. And that's something that's really helpful to understand when you're dealing with like the effects of oppression or prejudice or something like that. It's just that, you know, a person is navigating material that is larger than their own intention. And as a result of that, sometimes what they have to deal with is really hard. So, the other thing about karma is, is, is that it's not, it's not often that you can actually know what another person's intention actually is. I mean, sometimes when people are really close, you can have a feeling about it, but you can't really know what it is unless you actually verify it, unless you check it out. And so if you see somebody doing something that just absolutely doesn't make any sense at all, you know, it's easy to form a judgment about it, but what's helpful is to just make a question mark around it because you don't know where they're coming from. So you can see behavior that looks appalling, um, but it might be coming from a place that is actually quite different from what it's appearing. You know, you don't know unless you actually check it out. Okay. So... Um, So there's wholesome karma, which leads to wholesome results. There's unwholesome karma, which leads to unwholesome results. And there's mixed karma, which is, you know, an intention that has both wholesome and unwholesome elements to it. And it has unwholesome and and, uh, wholesome results, you know. And we can see examples of that, you know. So, you know, generosity is usually a good thing, you know. But if you give because you need to be needed, then it's mixed. And sometimes you can get resentful because you're feeling burnt out because you're not actually connected from a place of, of, of giving without expectations. And, and your needs are not being conveyed in your giving. You know? There was a, a community meeting here a few months ago because there's a lot of um, panhandlers and there's been some thefts on the street and people are stealing stuff out of mailboxes and laptops and variety of stuff. And so there was a community meeting. And there were a number of police officers and they were really strongly encouraging um, people not to give money to people who are who are panhandling. Um, because what they were saying is, is, is that you might think you're doing something that's kind, but what happens is, is, is that for $3 a person can go out and buy a bottle of whiskey and can get absolutely plastered. And if somebody calls an ambulance and picks them up and then takes them to the hospital, which can happen, you know, the $3 that you gave them can cost the city like $5,000. And um, and so there was a request not to give panhandlers money because um, when they're using it for alcohol 
or other narcotics or substances that were not helpful for them, then there was a negative effect that the city was having to cover. Okay. Now, um, I could see what they were saying, and I could see, you know, that it's actually helpful for people to have food and to have shelter and to have things like that and to get them to the places where they could get the support that they needed. But when you gave a person money, you wasn't sure what they were going to do with it. So I could understand their perspective on that point. There were a couple of other points I didn't agree with, but uh, that point I could understand. So there's there's wholesome karma and there's unwholesome karma and there's mixed karma. And then there's the whole thing about, well, you know, when you're talking about this whole picture of three lifetimes, then, you know, how is it or what is it, what kind of karmas actually determine the... The, the mind continuum that is that moves into the next lifetime. And this is not something that I've formally studied, so I don't remember it very well. But I know that there's the kind of, like the, like the basic stuff. So if your basic intention is to be harmless and to be generous and to be kind and to practice, there's a kind of like a lot of energy that's connected with that. That will have a huge impact and then there's like these really super strong things, like if there's been like something that happened that was phenomenally positive or unbelievably negative, that will also have an impact. And then the actual contents of your mind, what you're thinking at the moment when you die, will also have an impact. And so how all of these things ripen then depends on which one of these is actually more weighty in that particular circumstance. So part of the reason why, for Buddhist practitioners, there's a lot of encouragement or interest for people at their deathbed to have a mind that's as light and free and open and clear and loving and positive as it can be, is because what you're actually thinking at the time of death has an impact on what happens after that. Now, where there is no more karma is when there's no more ignorance. So a person who is completely enlightened, it's not that they comp- they only do positive karma. They do no karma. Because there's no more ignorance operating, there is no more... Um, the, the volitional tendency is not operating in the same way. Now, I'm not completely enlightened, so I can't speak from experience. I'm just speaking from what other people have told me and from the stuff that I've read in scriptures. So I can't, I can't, I can't speak from having experienced this. But the kind of glimpses where I can understand what this is like is in a moment when the mind is resting in an open, spacious awareness where there's no grasping and there's no rejecting, there's no aversion. It's not that we're numb. You're not a vegetable. You're not a mashed potato. But what you can, when you act, it's not coming from from the same kind of motivations that we're normally motivated by. And as a result, you can see that the effect is quite different. So the glimpses that I've had, I can extrapolate how that might be the case. Anyway, here's a little bit of an introduction to the whole concept of karma. I don't know if that helps or makes things more confusing, but we can stop and have a conversation. Okay? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit 
dharmaseed.org slash donate.